Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello again, and welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood, the podcast where it's safe to admit that growing up during the 1970s was really great, and where we remember those happy days, especially the time spent watching television, which was a big part of my childhood. And I know I'm not alone in that. Thanks to all of you who are regular listeners, and thanks to all of you who've been in touch sharing your memories and saying, mostly, nice things about the podcast. If you're listening for the first time, then a warm welcome to you too. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing for the last year or two, or you'd like to share your memories with us, you can do so by visiting our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com. You can tweet at 70stvchildhood, visit our Facebook page at my70stvchildhood, or you can email me, oliver, at my70stvchildhood.com. In the first two seasons of the show, we've looked at all kinds of aspects of 1970s life and all sorts of TV shows. And I think there's a potentially endless source of material for us to talk about. In one of our episodes in season two, we touched upon the cartoons of Joseph Hanner and William Barbera. And I was struck by a conversation with one of my colleagues recently, who reminded me not only that children's TV schedules were packed with their work throughout the 1970s, but also that the quality of the shows was, well, let's say variable, to say the least. For every Scooby-Doo or Yogi Bear, there was a Touche Turtle or Secret Squirrel, or Squirrel, Secret Squirrel, as they used to pronounce it. And that set me wondering, whilst we've already covered some of the better-known cartoons in previous episodes or plan to devote more time to them in future programmes, there are a whole range of either lesser-known or, quite frankly, pretty dire cartoon series, some of which I'd like to remind you of. Now, I loved Wacky Races as a child. Well, let's face it, who didn't? The plots were ludicrous, with the evil Dick Dastardly, and his sidekick Muttley, always trying to sabotage the other competitors, in the wacky races of the title. The other drivers in their cars were fun as well, so alongside the lovely Penelope Pitstop in the compact Pussycat was her potential beau, Peter Perfect, in his Turbo Terrific. Not to mention the Anthill Mob, the Gruesome Twosome in the Creepy Coop, and the Red Max in the Crimson Hay Baler. Oh yes, all good fun, as Dastardly was always frustrated in his efforts and never won a race. Why he couldn't have just put his foot down and tried beating the rest of the field is a mystery, but never mind. It was predictable, funny, and engaging, and never lost its appeal. Well, not to me, anyway. And it was very popular. So popular that it spawned not one, but two spin-off shows. Do you remember what they were? 
Perils of Penelope Pitstop took the heroine of Wacky Races and gave her her own show. It turned out she was an heiress to a fortune. Well, makes sense, I suppose, given the costs involved in running a motor racing team, travelling around the globe and doing lots of wacky races. And her guardian, Sylvester Sneakley, keeps trying to get hold of her inheritance via his alter ego, the masked villain, the Hooded Claw. Fortunately for Penelope, she was looked after by some of her wacky races co-stars. And no, not Peter Perfect, as you might expect, but the Ant Hill Mob, who were a bunch of vertically challenged 1920s-style gangsters, who always tried to rescue Penelope from the dire situation she was in, but often made it worse. In fact, I think there were seven of them, so the parallels with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves were there for all to see. The Hooded Claw was clearly influenced by silent films, as most of the ways in which she tried to dispatch Penelope were very complicated, such as the old tying her to the railway track just as the express was due trick, or leaving her in a cavern to drown as the tide came in. Well, you get the sort of idea. Actually, I do seem to remember now that Penelope was a bit of an early feminist role model, as she quite often worked out how to escape herself, and didn't need any help from the Ant Mob, or anybody else for that matter. I do think that she probably should have worked out that Sneakly and the Hooded Claw were one and the same, given they looked and sounded identical. Apart from when he was the Hooded Claw, Sneakly wore a thin Zorro-type mask across his eyes. But there again, there wouldn't have been 17 episodes made if that was the case. And just as a side note, the final episode was set in Old London Town with the traditional American adornments of fog, obviously, and aristocrats. And the main aristocrat featured was the Earl of Crumpet. Now, I'm sure Hannah and Barbara were not aware of what that meant in 1970s Britain, but it did add to the fun for children watching, and probably their parents too. The other Wacky Races spin-off, and one which I personally found far superior, was Dastardly and Muttley. Uh, thanks, Muttley. Dastardly and Muttley, known as Dastardly and Muttley in their flying machines in the US, took the villainous Dick Dastardly and his sidekick Muttley and put them into the Vulture Squadron, a sort of First World War flying unit whose never-ending task was to, well, I'll let them tell you. In every episode, Dastardly and his ill-assorted squadron mates, Clunk and Zilly, tried ever more outrageous ways of capturing the carrier pigeon, who was called Yankee Doodle Pigeon, and who was always carrying vital messages for the enemy. And, well, that was about it, really. Dick Dastardly's efforts would always fail, Muttley would demand medals for his bravery, and Dastardly would always get an earful from the general down the telephone, who we only ever heard the voice of, 
after yet another failure in capturing the pigeon. Looking back, it was pretty formulaic and predictable, but I loved it, and lots of my friends did too. Now, I might be imagining this bit, but as part of Dastardly and Muttley, there was another cartoon series which was included within the show, which was quite a popular thing with cartoons in those days. And this show featured a very cutesy little lamb and a big bad wolf. It was called It's the Wolf. And Lambsy the Lamb was constantly being chased by Mildew the Wolf. And when threatened, all that Lambsy had to do was shout. And then he'd be saved by the sheepdog, who would then dispatch Mildew using some good old-fashioned cartoon violence. And then we'd have another adventure from Dastardly and Muttley. Perfect mix for a programme. Now, do you remember there was also a trend for cartoons to be made featuring real people or famous acts? Hanna-Barbera made loads of them. I think there was a cartoon version of The Three Stooges, which was about as funny as the original trio themselves, i.e. not very, and, and also an animated Abbott and Costello. But far more memorable and successful was the cartoon version of Laurel and Hardy. Running for an unbelievable 156 episodes, these short cartoon adventures were incredibly popular for a little while. And I remember that they had their own strip in TV comic, which I used to get now and again. And eventually, they had their own comic, which lasted for a few years. Equally unbelievable was the fact that more than one of my friends didn't actually know the cartoon was based upon real people. Weird or what? particularly given the regularity of old Laurel and Hardy films being shown on TV. I remember nothing of the plots, but the short cartoons were generally vaguely amusing and served as a deepest, decent appetiser before the main course of Jack and Ori or whatever was on afterwards. A longer cartoon series I remember watching also dealt with real people who I think were probably as well known to kids watching the TV in the UK as cartoon characters than as they were in real life. The Harlem Globetrotters were best known in the UK for their regular appearances on British TV on Bank Holidays, as we mentioned in our episode Bank Holiday Blues, where they showed us their basketball tricks, usually at the Empire Pool Wembley, to thrash the Washington Generals. But we also knew them from the cartoon series of the same name. Like many other Hanna-Barbera shows, the plots were yet again formulaic. The Globetrotters travelled around the world in their team van and generally got into a scrape with some bad guys, from which the only way of getting on with their trip was to play basketball. 
Usually their opponents would try and cheat, but the skills, humour and all-round brilliance of the team would get them through in time to get to the stadium to play their proper scheduled match, which, of course, they always won. I loved the show and the cool and funny way in which the team went about their business and outsmarted the villains or helped the poor children save the orphanage or whatever. But what I failed to grasp as a six- or seven-year-old was that this show portrayed real-life basketball stars like Meadowlark Lemon, Curly Neal and Geese Obi. And also, that this must have been one of the first shows to portray African-Americans as the leading characters. A fact that was not really noticed in Warrington, but I'm sure had a big impact in the US. Incidentally, Meadowlark was voiced in the cartoon series by the famous US jazz musician Scatman Crothers, who found a lucrative second career in acting and providing voices for animation to go alongside his illustrious musical career. As well as appearing in shows like Starsky and Hutch, Charlie's Angels and The Love Boat, he also provided the voice of Scat Cat in The Aristocats and the voice of the hero of the last, what should we call them, second string Hanna-Barbera cartoons we're going to look back on. Now I may cause a bit of controversy with this one, when I tell you which one I'm thinking of, because it was a very popular show with me and also with my schoolmates at Pagate CV Primary School. But I've included it on the basis that it wasn't that successful in America and only one series was ever made. Now, have you guessed which hero's voice was provided by Scatman Crothers? Rosemary, the telephone operator? No. Henry, the mild-mannered janitor? Could be. Hong Kong Fooey, number one super guy. Hong Kong Fooey, quicker than the human eye. He's got style, a groovy style, and a bar that just won't stop. When the going gets rough, he's super tough with a Hong Kong Fooey chop. Hong Kong Fooey took UK children by storm when it was first broadcast in 1975. At that time, Kung Fu was having its moment in the sun. The films of Bruce Lee were still popular. Kung Fu classes had sprung up all over the country. And we all enjoyed seeing David Carradine, a.k.a. Grasshopper, wandering across the Old West, seeking spiritual peace through Kung Fu, on a Saturday tea time, just before the Pink Panther show. So Kung Fu was in. And what more did we children need than a dog called Henry, who worked as a janitor? And I have to say, that's the first time I ever heard that word, which is now very commonplace in the UK. Yeah, Henry, who worked as a janitor in the police station, whilst at the same time masquerading as Hong Kong Fui, a martial arts-equipped superhero. What is there not to like about that? Aided by his faithful cat Spot, who was actually striped, haha, Henry managed to save the day in part through his kung fu skills, but usually thanks to the cat's intervention. 
The plots were thin, the animation cheap and repetitive, with canned laughter accompanying the, the show. And the show is repeated again and again. But little children, like I was at the time, absolutely loved it. It also led to numerous Kung Fu-related accidents in the playground at school, as we all tried to demonstrate the Hong Kong Fui Chop, or tried to add in kicks to our routine, which normally ended with someone, usually the would-be Kung Fu artist, falling down on the tarmac and grazing their knee, or in some cases I seem to remember breaking bones. Looking back, the huge number of, well, quite frankly, second-class cartoons from the Hanna-Barbera empire that we had on British TV during the 70s was yet another example of money being saved by buying cheap foreign imports and showing them over and over as fillers between the genuinely high-quality but undoubtedly expensive homegrown TV shows. And we love them. What Hanna-Barbera cartoons did you like? Did you suffer any Kung Fu-related injuries in the playground? Or did you not realise that Laurel and Hardy and the Harlem Globetrotters were actually real people? Let us know on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com. Visit our Facebook page at My70stvchildhood. Tweet at 70stvchildhood. Or email me, Oliver, at My70stvchildhood.com. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that quick look back to Hong Kong Fui et al. I think I'll be singing that theme tune for the next week, I'd imagine. But thanks for listening. Take care. And join us again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood.